You know, um, insanity takes various forms. Um, Sally and I are leaving tomorrow morning in uh, our first flight since COVID started to fly to Jackson, Mississippi and uh, help clean out her stepmother's con- condo. And then we're going to put some of it in a, in, a, in a truck, old used furniture, and drive it back to Portland. Like I said, insanity takes various forms. But um, it gives us a chance to see family, and uh, uh, that's very important. It'll give us a chance to drive across the country, uh, assuming no blizzard hits, okay? Um, So I'll be away next Sunday. Uh, I'm very thankful that Steve Green has uh, agreed to preach and serve the sacrament, and uh, Uh, Look forward to being back with you, God willing, in a couple of weeks. Um, Today, uh, some people remember as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, The first Sunday in November, many churches remember this way. Um, It was started by either Brother Andrew or Richard Wormbrand back in the 60s or 70s. Some of you might know those names if you've got enough age on you or mileage. Um, and um, it's to call attention to the fact that um, there are brothers and sisters in Christ at this very moment who are in prison and persecuted for the faith, um, and I want to call us to remember them today. Uh, if you're interested, there's more information online um, about all of this sort of thing. Now, uh, before we read, read the text, I want to point out that remembrance is an important concept in the Bible and for you and me. Uh, We remember birthdays. uh, We remember anniversaries, unless we we want to get in trouble, I guess you'd say. Uh, We remember other important events. Um, In the United Kingdom and in other parts of the British Commonwealth, Canada is one, there is Remembrance Day which is November the 11th uh, at 11 a.m. The armistice uh, that ended World War I was signed in 1918 on the 11th month, the 11th day. At the 11th hour, the armistice began. And so uh, there's a remembrance of that in the U.K. Uh, They remember their war heroes and their war uh, dead. Many of them were poppies. So in the church, we're commanded to remember the Lord's death until He comes. And we do that by the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We do that by reading the Bible and remembering uh, that it, uh, what it tells us about Jesus. Uh, and so this morning, uh, the text will tell us to remember the prisoners. Um, and that might seem pretty remote to you and me, uh, but... Uh, In a global scale, it's not remote at all. Given where we are culturally, it may not be as remote as we would like for it to be. Let's pray, and then we'll look at some one particular verse in Hebrews. Lord our God, help us to understand you and your ways with your people. And particularly today, we ask you to help us to remember um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, parts of the body uh, that are persecuted uh, for the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in me and all of us that this might happen as we read your word and think about it together. 
uh, that we would remember them and not forget them when we walk out, that we would continue to remember them in a biblical way. And so use a wretched, sinful, crooked stick to show the straight and narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll look in your Bibles at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read the last verse of chapter 12 and then several verses in chapter 13. Let me remind you, we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Therefore, let us be grateful for, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. The grasses wither, the flowers will fade away, but this is God's Word. It will not fade away. Uh, it will abide forever and forever. The Christian community that received the letter to the Hebrews was a community that knew about persecution firsthand. If you turn back in your Bible, if you have it open, uh, to chapter 10, Hebrews 10, at verse 32, uh, the writer to the Hebrews takes them through a little uh, down memory lane, which for them is acute and painful. In verse 32, but recall the former days when you, after you were enlightened, endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They have known struggle. They have known sufferings. It goes on sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have a great need of endurance. They had been converted. Uh, they had come to Christ. They had been persecuted. They had endured what I will call the first wave of persecution that came upon them. They were publicly reviled and they had shown compassion to those in prison. And joyfully, joyfully, they accepted the plundering of their property. Are you kidding me? Joyfully, they accepted the plundering of their property. How did that happen? How do you joyfully accept the plundering of your property? It's not because they're not interested in possessions. It's because the text says they have better possessions, lasting possession. 
laid up for them in glory. In chapter 11, at verse 26, talking about Moses, says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What allowed Moses to do what he did? How did he say no to Pharaoh's house and I'll go with these refugee prisoner slaves? Because he wanted real possessions. He wanted things that would endure, things that would last. Now they have a new wave of persecution coming upon them. They're struggling. You can read that all through the book of Hebrews. Uh, They're wavering. They're struggling to maintain the same level of commitment they had before. And they're in danger of falling away. And I resonate with that. I remember I was converted in 1970. And uh, that was, I don't know, it was right in the middle of the Cold War, but it's certainly Cold War. And, uh, and, and I remember early on as a Christian having the thought, what if I was in a prison behind the Iron Curtain? And a guard had a gun to my head and said, are you a Christian? You say, you're weird to have had that kind of thought. No, I don't think so. There were people that were living that in 1970, 71, 72, and people living that today in places that I can't name because I don't know the geography of certain countries very well. But the writer here is encouraging these people to remain faithful and focused and follow Jesus Christ. He wants them to return to and remain in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And that's his encouragement to you and me too. To remain faithful. Now, here's, let me just tell you how the passage I think is shaped and then we'll look particularly at verse 3. Um, he says, let us... Uh, In verse 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is consuming fire. Uh, I I would think you know maybe by now that Pastor Bell would have told you that worship is more than this, like on a Sunday morning. That worship has to do with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It has to do with all of the way we live. And when he says, let us offer to God worship uh, that is acceptable with reverence and awe, he's talking about a life that is lived before the face of an awesomely holy God. And a part of that is what he talks about in chapter 13 when he says, let brotherly love continue. So one of the ways that we flesh out uh, acceptable worship to a God Almighty is remembering brotherly love. But brotherly love is, is, the, is the umbrella that controls the first part of chapter 13, at least the first part, if not more. And, 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 and then, how do you flesh out the brotherly love, the, 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 uh, the, the big theme? It's, well, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And these strangers are people that went around preaching the gospel. They were itinerant missionaries that went without uh, uh, mission agencies behind them and without uh, support behind them. And I think that's the primary thing he's talking about there. And then in the next verse, verse 3, putting meat on the bones of let brotherly love continue, he says, remember the prisoners and those who are mistreated. Now, 
I think this primarily has to do with the Christian community, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Several of these injunctions apply uh, in, from other places in the Scriptures. We know that we're supposed to treat people outside the church the same way. But I don't think that's the focus here. I think he's talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who sends out these missionaries who has people in prison. Should we remember prisoners more broadly? Yes, but I think here he's talking about Christian prisoners, people that are persecuted for the faith. So there's my introducing to the first point, and I've only got two. First point is to remember the prisoners. People like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison. Later I'll tell you Paul was in prison. Peter was in prison. John Knox, the father of Presbyterianism, rode as a galley slave in, uh, in French ships for 18 months or so. Uh, people that are persecuted for the faith. People that that they say, I'm a Christian, and people revile and hate them for that. What is it to remember the prisoners? Now, this is probably the biggest way that we as Americans, and particularly people that are heirs of what I would call the intellectual West, that is Europe uh, and North America, this is the place where we go most wrong in a passage like this, okay? What does it mean to remember the prisoners? Well, it's certainly not to forget about them. Don't forget about the prisoners. And we have a tendency, uh, we really do, to forget about people that are in trouble uh, because it causes us pain. Uh, and, and we don't know how to deal with it. And we don't know what to do about it. Yesterday I was riding around the car and I heard the, the story, the news story of this awful um, gasoline tank explosion in Sierra, Sierra Leone and 99 people, the latest report that I saw, were dead. And, and I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to process that. I don't, I, you see these pictures of cars just burned up and people in them. And it, so when we, we hear about pain and problems, and especially Christian people, sometimes it's just very hard uh, to deal with it. But, but, what if it's somebody we know and love that's experiencing pain and problems? What if it's somebody we know that's in prison? One of the members of the church in Alabama was in prison one time. I went to see him. It's an interesting uh, thing. I tell people I do prison ministry. I just don't like for you to need that, you know. Um, when we love people, we don't forget. And I think the problem in remembering the prisoners, the big, one of the big problems is that we don't love them. We don't love them. They're not right here. And if that's true, we need to confess and repent. More positively, though, what does it mean to remember the prisoners? Well, if you look and study the remembrance of God in the Bible, you find that remembrance is not a passive calling to mind and thinking about. Not just that, but remembrance in the Bible is a very active thing. In Jeremiah 15, it says, O Lord, remember me and visit me. That's in a prayer. Genesis 8, God remembered Noah and made a wind blow over the earth. He remembered His covenant with Noah and He did something. 
to remember, biblically speaking, is to take action. See, when we think of remember, so you come out of a test, you're in high school or college or junior high, and somebody said, did you remember the answer to number 16? And what they meant was, could you call it to mind and write it on the paper? And then you go about your merry way. No, I didn't get it either, or yeah, I did, or whatever. That's what we think of remembering. But in the Bible, to remember is to remember something like a promise, to remember a covenant. God made a covenant with Noah. He remembered His covenant. God makes a covenant with His people. He remembers His covenant. Well, how does He remember His covenant? He sends His Son to die. He makes covenant with Abraham. And He says to Abraham in chapters 12 and 15 and 17, Abraham, you're gonna, you're, your people are going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Abraham, I promise it to you. How can that be? I'm an old man. Y'all know the story. But God's going to actively remember His covenant with Abraham, and because He actively remembers it, He will send His Son to die in my place and in the place of all His people. It's not just to think about somebody. Paul uses the term. He says in Galatians 2, remember the poor. And then later in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the relief offering that he took to Jerusalem. So do you think that when Paul wrote in Galatians 2, remember the poor, that he meant, well, just think about poor people. I don't think he thinks that at all. And I think you know he didn't just mean think about poor people. He meant take some of your resources and help poor people. Colossians 4, verse 18, Paul wrote, Remember my chains, remember my imprisonment. So do we think Paul is just saying, You guys think about me. Don't pray for me. Don't bring me something to eat. Just think about me. I don't think so. I think we know it's more than that. When the thief on the cross said to Jesus in Luke 23, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Was he saying, hey, Jesus, when you get to the other side, think about me? That's not what he's saying at all, right? He's saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, be, be merciful to me. Jesus, remember me. So in the Bible, to remember is not just to recollect, not just to call to mind, not even just to keep in mind. It is to go to the aid of is to actually render care unto someone. It includes action. And in, depending on the context, it means at least to pray for people, right? So in Acts 12, at verse 5, Peter was kept in prison by Herod the king, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church to God. Uh, Peter's in prison, and they prayed for him. The church prayed for him. Yeah, it's at least prayer. But it's to go to people and give them food and fellowship. At the end of Acts, Acts 28, maybe the last verse, verse 30, uh, Paul's in prison in Rome, and, and he, provides, he, he provides for his own care. See, one of the things we don't realize about prisoners in, 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 this, in the ancient world context, 
in probably some places in this world today is we live in the United States. And if prisoners don't get certain things in the United States, they bring a lawsuit against the state. And, and, and so they all have medical care, and they all have this, and they all have that. And I'm not saying they should or shouldn't. I'm just saying we live in a, in a, in a, in a period of history where prisoners have more rights than ever. But back in Paul's day, and in, in, indeed for at least 1,700 years after that, a prisoner had nothing. So in St. Andrew's Castle in St. Andrew's, Scotland, there's what they call the bottle dungeon. The bottle dungeon. What is a bottle dungeon? Well, imagine, if you will, a, a, well, I don't know whether to call it a Coca-Cola bottle or a you remember in chemistry, you had a flask, you had a little neck at the top, and it got bigger at the, at the bottom, it had a flat bottom, you know, it was round. You know, isn't that what a flask looks like? Some of you, yeah, so a flask. So imagine a flask 24 feet tall and 15 feet wide at the bottom with a narrow top. And that's the bottle dungeon at the castle in St. Andrews. And so they just put people down there on a rope. And they put some more in there, and some more in there. And they just leave them. You say, well, where were the facilities? They were down there. And not in a separate room. Where was the food? Well, it was the food their friends took them. It's the only food they had. They didn't feed them. Their friends didn't take them food. They didn't get food. Oh, oh. It's a different world than our world today. So, it was an acute thing that if a brother or sister in Christ was in prison, if you didn't remember them actively, they could die quickly in that context. So, the text goes on, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them empathically. That is the way or the degree to which they are to be remembered. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is, do to them what you would want them to do for you if you were in the same place. Why do you do that? Well, that's pretty easy too. Where was Jesus? Well, uh, where were we? Um, Well, we were in the prison house of sin. And Jesus came to free us from the prison house of sin. He came to us who were in bondage to sin. And He set us free. And because now free, we're bound together with one another because we're united to Christ. We have a common confession and we have a common connection to Christ and therefore members one of another. It's an incredible verse that I think the American church in particular has never come fully to grips with. In Romans 12, verse 5, you are members one of another. And we just don't get that. We are very individualistic. We have this view that we volunteer into the church. No, we're drafted. Uh, God drafts us into His church. God drafts us into His body. Um, and, and we're members one of the other. And we, we don't, we, we are, we're way short on that one, I'll tell you. We've got a com- common confession and connection, a common hope of heaven. And then for them, there's this common danger of falling away. So let me draw some other applications, and I'll look at the second point. 
It's only a serious misunderstanding of the church that will allow us not to see what I'm talking about. If we think of the church as the body of Christ, then we are members one of another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if all the members don't suffer, then in some sense, we're not connected as we ought to be. And secondly, it's only a significant misunderstanding of how and why we were saved that will allow us to forget the prisoners. And the, do, we, do we realize that the same providence of God that has me outside the prison is the providence of God that has them inside the prison? It's the same providence of God. You say, well, it's different one person to another. It is. But God is sovereign in all these things. The second main point is this second imperative, imperative to, in this, this third verse, and to remember, and those who are mistreated, since you also in, are in the body. Who are the mistreated? Well, it includes the prisoners, but it's a larger group, right? Uh, this is those who are persecuted uh, for the faith in any way. And let me suggest, suggest to you some ways that people can be and actually are uh, persecuted uh, for the faith who are mistreated because they're Christians. And the first and obvious one, I think, in this, if you read the book of Hebrews, is that they can be mistreated physically. That they can be mistreated physically. That they can be beaten. Um, and, and if you read, for instance, in, um, in Hebrews 11 at verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Physically mistreated. The Apostle Paul uh, I love this passage. Paul is discussing what will commend his ministry. What will commend his ministry to other people. What will help other people to believe he's the real deal and he really cares and he is really sent by God. And he says it uh, this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Does that happen today? Do Christians get beaten and imprisoned and flogged and all these other things, yes, it does happen today. It is happening today in this world, in space and time history right now. 
We're to remember those who are mistreated physically. And also they're mistreated socially. What do I mean by socially? Well, they might be forbidden to gather for worship and prayer. And you've heard of stories of, of certain countries, China and maybe Islamic countries. It happened in Scotland in the days of the Scottish Covenanters. They could not legally gather to worship as Reformed Christians. Economically, third way that people can be mistreated. You can have licenses and taxes focused on groups. Of course, the, the Jews had that in Germany in World War II. You can boycott businesses or loot business or confiscate property, as we've talked about. And judicially is another way that people can be mistreated. Injustice at court by various means. From both the Old Testament and the New Testament, I've preached for decades that Christians ought to be really worried about the, 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 the system of justice in this country because if you're wealthy and can afford the right lawyer, you get a better shake in our system than if you, don't, if you can't. That ought to bother us. That ought to bother us greatly. So are we to be surprised that some Christians are being mistreated that is talked about here and he, in Hebrews 13, and that the writer would tell them to remember those who are mistreated? And the answer is no, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus warned his followers about this. Uh, I think Ben alluded to this uh, in his prayer. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In John 15, remember the word that I said to you. This is Jesus speaking. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And of course, Jesus was mistreated, right? As far as I know, he wasn't put in prison. Well, maybe for a night. But he was mistreated. He was persecuted. He came to his own. His own received him not. Then the Romans crucified him because his own people gave them over. He was mistreated as a substitute sacrifice for sinners. He died the death that I deserved to die. He lived the life that I was required to live but never could live. And he was mistreated, the ultimate mistreatment. Jesus said, don't be surprised about this. Paul repeatedly said it. In Philippians 1, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, again, Paul, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we must not be surprised when Christians are persecuted and mistreated. It's normal, though it's not right. And we are warned about this ahead of time. And when we are not persecuted, we must not think that that is normal. If you're anywhere near my age bracket, if you remember the 50s and 60s, Christians were in a little different place then. Um, I don't know that they were held in great esteem, but certainly not ridiculed and marginalized the way Christians tend to be today. And some of us, and I think the religious right has had the problem of thinking we have a right to a life without persecution, and the Bible would say that is absolutely false. 
What we have promised is that we will be persecuted if we are faithful to Jesus Christ. I predict that if people are faithful, some are going to lose their jobs in the not-too-distant future. And people are already struggling with things. I know people that have turned down promotions because they say, if I get to that level, I'll have to do things that I just can't in good conscience do as a Christian. Again, I don't know. God may turn things around, but the trajectory of the country is that Christians are going to experience more persecution than we have in the last 50 to 150 years. The text goes on, why remember the mistreated? He says, since you also are in the body. Well, do you think that means the body of Christ? Well, it could mean that. Calvin took it that way. Theologically, you can develop that. I, I mentioned that earlier myself. Theologically, it would fit to say, you're in the body, you're in the body of Christ, remember the mistreated. But I think there's probably better reason to think that he's saying to them, look, you're in the physical body, guys. It could happen to you too. You are subject to the same sort of treatment. Um, I think that's probably a better way uh, to read that and to say to them, it could happen to you. You might have the same need as those who are in prison right now because you could be there too. You could have the same need as those that are mistreated now. Uh, it could happen to you. So he says, look, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to these strangers that come around, itinerant uh, missionaries preaching the gospel. And then remember the prisoners as those in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Okay. So, I think someday those of us who know Christ are going to meet these people, these Hebrew Christians. And we're going to meet the people that are in prison that they are told to remember. I think that'll happen. I mean, I, I think, you know, we'll meet uh, many people in heaven. I mean, God, of course, is the big deal. It's not to go up there and meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Calvin and Luther and Knox and all those people. But, but I think we will meet people like these. They may ask us, did you remember me? People in prisons in China right now may ask you and me directly, face to face someday, did you remember me? And then they may say, how did you remember me? And you'll say, well, that funny talking guy from Alabama spoke about it one Sunday in November and we thought about you for a while. What would you say then? What would you wish you would be able to say then? What should we do now? I don't know everything, but I'll tell you something. <laughs> something. Something. We were in the prison house of sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were helpless and had no claim on God and He remembered us. And He came to us. It's not surprising, therefore, that the Gospel will tell us to remember the prisoners and those mistreated because Jesus was mistreated and persecuted. And a servant is not greater than his master. 
We're told to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And indeed, we're told that we're to do unto others as God has done unto us in the gospel. Think about these things, dear friends. Think about these things. And think about and act in some way for your brothers and sisters that are in prison right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you remembered us. And some of us are pretty forgettable, to be honest, but you didn't. And you don't. And Lord, we know in the first instance you're not forgetting those that are in the prisons, those that are been be- being beaten, those who have been martyred for the faith. But Lord, there's a lot of mistreatment of Christians and non-Christians for that matter. And that's not what you want. So help us to be active rememberers and to do something, to do what we can because you remembered us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.